Thank you for tuning in to High Green, the official podcast of the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society. High Green is funded by your membership in the society, and any opinions expressed throughout the show are solely those of the owner. As always, if you'd like to learn more about our organization or join us, you can find our website, www.bmrrhs.org. Perhaps this story hasn't been told in B&M circles, but it's a B&M story and it's a good one. Oh my God, he says, I don't think I ever saw a train down here before. <laughs> he was abused. I still had that wanderlust. I still want to go back railroad. As we head into the holiday season, be sure to check out our online store for all kinds of great Boston and Maine themed gifts. You can find things like our 16-ounce glasses emblazoned with the Minuteman logo, our discs including all editions of our magazine, the B&M Bulletin, up to 2020. We also have winter jackets, sweatshirts, hoodies, winter hats, baseball hats, t-shirts, and all kinds of great books and reading material, including our latest publication, Steam Trains of Yesteryear, the Monadnock Steamtown in Northern Story, which chronicles one of the earliest tourist railroad operations on Boston and Maine trackage. You can head right on over to our online store to find all of these and many more things for the Boston and Maine fan in your life. Or maybe even a little holiday gift for yourself. And from all of us here at the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society, we'd like to wish you a happy, safe, and healthy holiday season. Thank you so much for your support. In today's very special episode of High Green, we listen to an interview from September 6, 2001 by Brian Dame with former Boston and Maine station agent Janet Shea, who worked most of the stations up and down the Conway branch from 1945 until 1987. We want to thank Brian for providing the audio for this episode. When did you start with the railroad? As far as my actual work... I started July 2nd, 1945, but I hung him down to the station down here working with Jim Reed from the time I was, well, the time we moved into Union. Yeah. And I used to help him do the billing, and, and we had a lot of uh, Railway Express at that time, particularly in the summer. Yeah. They had a lot of blueberries, you sure. know, from the huh. Blueberry Mountains, and I used, to, I used to go down and help him... Uh, make out the stickers, the Railway Express stickers, and put them all on and stuff. And, and uh, we had uh, a lot of baggage, not baggage, freight that came from Miltonia Mills over to Milton Mills. They made some of the best wool blankets in the world. Huh. And, and uh, so they used to bring them over into the freight house, and I'd help load the way cars and stuff like that yeah. on the freights, you know, in the summer when I was home and on Saturdays. and school vacations and stuff. Yeah. I actually started my work July 2nd, 1945. I started at early mill. And you were a telegrapher up there? or a... I was a telegrapher, if you want to call me that. Yeah. <laughs> I knew just just a few of the letters from learning, from listening down here. So back to Burleyville. Yeah. Uh, so didn't pick code up right away. 
I could I could understand it if they went really slow. Now, Leon Mayo, Mr. Mayo, was the agent in Salmonville. And when he took all of my uh, Western Union messages, which I had quite a few, because back in those days, when I started that back in 45, there weren't too many telephones up through that area, and there were summer yeah. camps and stuff. So yeah. I got a lot of Western Union, and he'd take them for me, and he'd get on the wire, and he'd say, F-O-N-E, as slow as he could. Yeah. And I'd run next door to the store, because I didn't have telephone in the station. Yeah. I'd run next door to the store, and he'd tell me, he'd give me the message, you know. and I'd, yeah, he'd copy I, it on the form. Yeah, and have to deliver the telegram. Yeah. The only thing he couldn't take for me, of course, were the track car permits and the train orders. Yeah. Because I had to repeat them back. Yeah. And the first train order that I ever took up there, the freight was coming down. That's when we had two freights a day, one going up and one coming down. Yeah. They were coming down, and the 2907 train at noon was running late. And they wanted to get the freight from Burleyville into Salmonville ahead of it. And there was plenty of time to do that. But I was so long getting the train order yeah. <laughs> that they couldn't move anyway until after <laughs> the passenger train went up. So it didn't do any good. But I, I might say I actually learned it more or less at the station there in Burleyville. Yeah. And I used to ride up to Wakefield Corner in the morning. With Arnold Wentworth, he was the agent at Ossipi. I rode up there with him and kept my bicycle at Palmer's store up there. They, it's Palm, they moved over to Palmer's Motel eventually. But when yeah. in, in my day, it was Palmer's store, just a, a building. Yeah. And if it was a rainy day, he usually, he ran a taxi service. He'd run me over. Yeah. And my, I'd pay him or my mother would pay him. But if it wasn't, I'd pedal my bicycle from Wakefield Corner all the way over to Burleyville, up and down those hills. Oh, it's quite a ways, but there's that long, those long hills. hill yeah. going out, you know, from, uh, well, around the Bancrofts area from there, all the way up across there. Yeah. So, and at night, Arnold Wentworth, when he'd come back from Ossipi, he'd... he'd uh, get on the wire and he'd just he'd just say uh, either go or home H-O-M-E as slow as he could and I'd get on my bicycle and pedal back and, and he'd meet me out there at Wakefield because yeah. I didn't have a car or anything Yeah. so uh, that's how I got back and forth to work that summer at Burleyville Was that a, during summer vacation yeah. after work? Yes. And you went back to school in the fall? I, I was off uh, from Macintosh College, actually. Oh, Macintosh down in Dover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. So that's how I got back and forth to work, mainly by bicycle and with Arnold as yeah. far as Wakefield. Yeah. Boy, I don't know. And the bicycles you had then didn't have any speeds or anything on them. I mean, sure. it was pumping was, all the way. Well, there were two speeds, weren't they? Pedal and walk? Yes. <laughs> or push. <laughs> Pedal and push. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So that's how I got back and forth, and I spent that summer there at Burleyville. Then I went to back to college in the fall. Yeah. And I worked until, uh, oh, I think it might have been 
either January or February. And January, I think it was. It was January. And the, there was an opening at uh, Madison. They didn't have anybody. See, it was during the war years. The boys yeah. weren't back yet. They yeah. didn't have anybody to put there. And so they asked me if I would go there. And I had one more. Uh, bookkeeping book that I had to do to graduate from Macintosh. Yeah. So I took time off and I went and I was the agent in, in uh, Madison. He went down to Mount, Mountain View because uh, Percy Blake Sr. was at Mountain View and he went to uh, Amesbury or Northampton or somewhere right down that way where they had a lot of chickens, yes. and the Railway Express Commission was good down there. Yes, I've heard that story. Yeah. Yes. So he went down there from, he was the agent at Center Oscar. He went down there. Yeah. And Harry Elliott was the agent at Madison. And because the Express Commission was better at Center Oscar, he took Center Oscar for the winter, and that left uh, Madison open. Yeah. So... The railroad asked me if I would go up there. If I was going to keep my job, I kind of had to. So I left school and went up there, and I spent that winter. Yeah. I, I boarded up there and uh, came home weekends on the afternoon train. Yeah. And then my folks, my mother, would would take me up on Sunday night because my father had left home. Yeah. And she'd take me up on Sunday night, so I'd be there for the early morning train Monday morning. Yeah. So that was my second job with them was up there. And that was starting in January of 46? Yes, yep. That's the winter I was up there. Yeah? Yep. How long did that last? Well, I I was up there that whole winter. And then I was on the spare board. I was often on the spare board all of that time. I really didn't... I really didn't hold a job. Wasn't able to bid off anything for several years I filled in you know on vacations yeah and like in the winter time if an agent was off I'd do it for the winter or like in the summertime that's how I happened to be at Burleyville uh, Mr. Bailey was the agent there and he used to go to Scarborough Beach in the summer because the Express Commission was good with the trunks and stuff so yeah so that left Burleyville open that's how I happened to get that job in the summer there was nobody to put there and they knew I had been hanging around the station down here and doing a lot of the station work. Yeah. I knew the station work pretty good when I went to work. The wire, I must say, I learned while I was there. Yeah. So, I, uh, so for quite a few years, I worked, you know, just stay a farm. And then I, I worked, I don't know, I think the first job that I probably owned was Osby. I guess that's probably the first job that I bid off that I owned myself, and I was up there, I don't know, three or four years probably anyway. Yeah. Then, when they closed that, I went to Wolfboro. Really? Yeah. I was over there. right? Yeah. I was over there for, (laughs) I don't know, two or three years, and uh, then when they, I think they closed that, if I remember right, I'm sure they did, and then I went to Salmonville, but Lord, I was only in Salmonville a couple of weeks before they closed that one. Yeah. It was in the process of being closed. But I actually worked every station on the branch. Up really? and down. That kept me busy back then because we had so many stations. Of course, they didn't have as much vacation time. 
But with yeah. all the stations, the older time has got a couple of weeks, you know, and that, that set me up in pretty good shape. Yeah. So I did a lot of spare work. Yeah. And anytime anybody wanted a day off, you know, I had it. Yeah. And I, I owned the job in Rochester for quite some time, several years. Owned the job in Dover for several years. Owned the job in Summersworth for two or three or four years. Yeah, that was at the freight office, yeah. right? The yeah. station. At I the did end. work. I did work the passenger end of it when I was on spare board. Yeah. Down at the regular station. Yeah. But I didn't work the freight house. But then, when they combined the two, then when I took the job, I, you know, there was no passenger service. Yeah. But I, I've worked every station on this branch, right up through to North Conway. I never worked in but I worked North Conway, and plus I worked the main central side of North Conway, because we used to have to go over there every every day or every other day. I can't remember now, but the huh. freight came out of Portland, yeah. and there was a freight house over there, and they left way free. Yeah. And the people that were on that side of town, which we had two or three companies that had uh, cars coming in. Yeah. And so I worked over there, too, on both sides. And because I worked a lot down on the main line. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at representation. Uh, when you went on as a paid employee, you had to join the union? You didn't have to then. Okay. But I did. What union was that? Was that BRAC? No. It was. Or the ORT? ORT. Order of Railroad Telegraphers. Do you remember the local number by chance? No. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I might have it somewhere, but I don't, in the top of my head, I don't know. Yeah. No, but I, I at first, for maybe the first six months or so, I wasn't uh, a member. But then one of the guys said to me one day, one of the agents, he said, you know, it isn't fair for the people that we're carrying and the ones that aren't paying their dues. So I took the hint, and I've been a member ever since I've got... I don't know, my 45-year pin. Uh, I think that's the last one I got was a 45-year pin. Yeah. So I've kept my membership in it. Yeah. Now, of course, you've got to be in it or you can't work. Right. Close shop, so. Yeah. Huh. But so. I never, never really approved of all of the things that the union went after. I would rather have had security than more pay. Yeah. Long-term versus short-term. Yes, sir. Yes. And every, yeah. it seemed like every time there was something going on, they were after more pay. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, I didn't go along with it, but I was a union member and I had to. Yeah. Because I honored all their strikes to whenever there were any, naturally. I went to work at Bill Ricca, and on the third day, the lines went up, the boilermakers went out, and I didn't, I wasn't yet in the union. I've been there only two days, and didn't know what the what John West would say, and he was fine with that. Yeah, come back when it's over. It'll, it won't be long. It wasn't. <laughs> um, people. Yeah. Uh, books and magazines will nauseate you with trains and locomotives, but and that you know that's that's all well and good. Let's let's talk about people. Who uh, who was your who did you report to? Who reported to the division superintendent as an operator or agent? 
he uh, was the head boss for me, because that was Charlie Kane. Okay, and he was based in Dover. That's right. Had a good reputation with his people. Oh, yeah. He, everybody loved Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Then, of course, I, I had to, the ones that called me for work were the dispatchers. George Morrill uh, was the chief train dispatcher. Oh, train dispatchers or crew dispatchers? No, chief train. train dispatchers. Yeah. They were, I was under them. Yeah. Actually, they were the ones that controlled me rather than the superintendent, but my, my big boss was Charlie Kane, general superintendent. Yeah. They were upstairs at Dover Station. Yes, they were. Until 1957. Oh, I don't know what year it was. And yeah, uh, 57 or 58, somewhere in there, is when they moved to Boston. Um, who was the uh, agent at Rochester? I should know this. Well, in my day, the agent in Rochester, the the ticket agent was Harry Lindfest. Yeah. And his assistant that worked in the morning. Harry didn't come on until, I'm going to say, 11 o'clock or so. Yeah. But Carl Appleby was in the morning there. Yeah. And he, when Harry would show up there, he would go to Garnick. And he, he spent the afternoon at the Garnick State Freight House. Okay. And I can't remember who was down to the Freight House, who was the agent. I should know, and I can't remember, because we only saw them... Occasionally, they'd come up. That yeah. was a whole different crew down there. That, and, and I can't. I should remember the freight agent, but I can't. And that, of course, is what is now the night the KSC Hall. That's right. Yep. Yep. But I, I worked most. I never worked in the freight office down there. Yeah. I did all my work on the up on the upper end of the ticket office until yeah. they did away with the freight, and then one agent was both. The, you know, was both. Yeah. Then I handled plenty of freight in those days. Yeah. But the B and M trucks took our way freight and brought it in. Yeah. So, but I handled a lot of that, a lot of freight there. Yeah. Now, in going through old the old employee magazines, I saw an entry in there that a a crossing tender at uh, Portland Street or Summer Street, you know, Portland. Summer, Summer Street. There was, was there a, you recall, a crossing tender at Portland Street, uh, Summer Street in Rochester? Not when I was there. Okay. That I can remember. Because the guy's last name was Dame, and I figured someday I'd have to tie that all together. No. Find out who that was. No, I never saw any of them. Yeah. That was before my time down there, apparently. Yeah. And of course, that was in the early days. That was the big station. And yeah. Later. Yeah. Later, they sold the real estate and uh, went to town with the freight house, with the second yeah. house, converted that to the station. Yeah. Did Do you recall having the wire come in? I know. I remember as a kid that there was a pole next to the freight house, a telegraph pole. The, the telegraph was already in any time I've ever worked in any of the stations. Yeah. So in the uh, in the freight house at Rochester, being the, the section house, uh, there was telegraph there. And well, I don't know because I never worked on that, and all. But it was in the custom. Well, the, the, this is this being a little freight office that, that you were, you left Rochester. Oh, on mine. Yes. Oh, oh, when I left. Yes. 
you know, the, you know, that was the old section house there that yeah. was set up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when did that become the agency? Uh, that would have been right around 1960, I would guess. When I well, first we were in a caboose down behind Merrimack really? Farmers. Yeah. That was our office when they did away with the freight house and the and the uh, station and stuff. Wow, I never heard of that. Oh yeah, I worked in that caboose a lot. We didn't have any bathroom facilities. Yeah. It was all right for the men, but I used to go into Merrimack Farmers to use their bathroom. Yeah. They had to make an agreement with them because they had to provide me with bathrooms. Sure. Yeah, I worked in that caboose. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Got a telegraph in there? And no, we, we we did everything by telephone. By telephone by yeah. that time. Yeah. Yeah. Then huh. we went from there up to the, the section shanty. Yeah. Wow. See, I never heard that story. Yeah, I was on that track. Well, it's that one that goes in by the warehouse. You know, there's the there's the Merrimack building here. Here's the yeah. yard here, and I was on this track right here. Oh, that was like the the Y track or out no, by the Y track. That was the track of itself there. Yeah. It was, I don't know what they called that track back then. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I was in that caboose. All right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's see now some of the other crews. Who uh, do you remember from train crews? And maybe it would help me to work backwards uh, in time. Towards the end, I know that you had your DO1 and DO2. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I know that they shuffled around an awful lot, but some of the names that I remember would be, uh, of course, Dick Horn, conductor. Yeah. And he was on both jobs off and on. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, uh, Joe Legia was a, a yeah, great man. His widow's just moved back up here. Yeah. Joe died, of course. Yeah. And, uh, he was everybody's favorite. Yeah. He was an awful good Danny Kennedy. Yeah. Conductor. Yeah, Danny didn't spend as much time up here on the branch. It was only in recent years that Danny came up. Yeah. He's not one of the old timers up here. Yeah. Ralph Hansen. We had Ralph Hansen, yeah. Ralph was originally from Sandmanville. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for engineers, I remember, uh, you got to help me with the first name, Blanco? Jim. Well, uh, Vinton was his name. Vinton J. V.J. Blanco, but Vinton James. So they yeah. all called him Jim. Now, where did he live? He lived in Exeter. Yeah. Paul Fitz worked up here all the time. Yeah. Um, there was Weldon. Yeah. And Louis. Louis. Did, did Louis work up on the branch? Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. Now. And, and uh, uh, Carl Hartford worked up here. Oh, Carl Hartford. Any relation to Phil Hartford? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I rode with Phil, Phil on MEBA, uh, MEPO. One night, I got, uh, geez, who, who did I get? Someone down at Bill Rooker gave me a head-end pass, and I got to see the East End there. And uh, I was amazed that Phil was driving from Belgrade Lakes, Maine, mm -hmm. to Lawrence to run to Portland, to turn around to Lawrence to drive back to Belgrade Lake. And it was all the Portland board yeah. that uh, 
How, how did I have it put to me once? Uh, what's his name? Got a burn in a saddle about the boys in Portland said, I'll, I'll show them and abolish all the Portland-based jobs and run them to Lawrence. Was it... Uh, uh, was it Culliford? He Culliford. Yeah. That's... Yeah. And he's still there today. Yeah, I know. He's seen us all come and go. Yeah. I don't know how he's done it. Huh. I don't know how he's done it. Paul Thompson worked up here a lot. Paul was an engineer? No, he was a... Conductor Brakeman. Okay, Worked with Body with Ralph Hansen and them. Yeah. Um, in earlier days, of course, uh, Ori McCrillis and Johnny O'Hagan and uh, uh, Rosie Bowen. Yeah. They all worked up here. Uh, Herbie Hatch lived in Salmonville. He he lived. He worked there here. Roy Hooper. They were all branchmen. Yeah. Up and down. Uh, were any jobs based in uh, North Conway? Any crews based out of there? Or do yeah. They must have been. Yeah. We had uh, DEI 1 and, and uh, ID 2. And one one ended up, the one that Johnny O'Hagan and, and uh Levitt, and I can't think of his first name, and Rose Bowen was on, put up in North Conway yeah. on, on Saturday afternoons. They'd go north on Saturday. Yeah. The other one put up in Dover, Yeah. the other side of the job. And so if they lived up that way, they'd, they'd catch whatever's yeah. job. Yeah, was. Henry Gagne, you see, and Babe Panette, those guys, Freddie Hackett, they all lived up there in North Conway. Yeah. And they tried to get that side of the job when they could, and then, because when they, when they did away with it, why, they had to come down this way and drive. Yeah. But uh, Henry and, and Babe, of course, they were passenger men on twin, on both sides, twenty nine fourteen, for years yeah. with with. Uh, uh, oh God. Uh, Marl, not John. Oh. oh, I can't think of his first name. And, yeah. uh, and then, uh, God, the one that had the big win on the back of his neck. His name begins with an H. First name? No, his last That's name. Deep. I think, begins with an H. Yeah. No, Ralph, Ralph Windsor. Went down with a W. Ralph Windsor. Yeah. He had a big, big wind on the back of his neck that couldn't be operated on. He had one side of 2914, and Nate Morrow had the other side of 2914. Yeah. So one, they went back and forth, and Howard Andrews was on uh, 2918. He lived up there in North Conway, because that just went to Dover and back. Yeah. 2914 went to Boston and back. Yeah. So that was two-sided. But yeah. Howard's job was only one-sided. So, for a long while, when I first started hanging around the trains, he had, uh, uh, Ralph Hansen was on that train with him in the afternoon, and Eddie, Edgar Allen, they were his helpers on the afternoon train, and Johnny Lyman was the baggage man. Yeah. 
But then, uh, after that, I think uh, Henry was the conductor. After Howard retired, I think Henry was the conductor on that. He went off. He he didn't ever go to freight. He and Babe were passenger men. Yeah. And they didn't go to freight until they took the passenger trains off. Yeah. Then they went to freight. You know, so they could stay here on the branch. Yeah. But, uh, Johnny Lyman, he was a baggage man up here, and he was also a passenger uh, conductor, extra conductor, and brakeman. He worked a lot on the, on the uh, Friday night snow trains. I used to run the baggage car up for him. Oh, yeah? While he was picking up tickets and stuff. Yeah. For all the skiers. And he worked some out of Portland, too, when they needed him. Hmm. So he was both. But Henry and Babe were basically passenger until passenger was done with. Yeah. So. Huh. So there's the crews. Now, uh, let's go to the people that often are forgotten in the track crew. There were probably section crews. when you Back in the 40s, 50s, there, there were section crews pretty well spread out. Oh, yeah. Were Belline Salmonville? Yeah. We, when I was at Madison, yeah, the guy that was in Conway, sh Shorty, oh gosh, I can't think of his last name. I can't think of his last name. He was the foreman. Uh, a fellow by the name of, his last name was Cormier, and I can't think of his right now. He was also on that crew. They did Conway and Madison. Yeah, That was their territory. Levi Emerson was in Mount Whittier. Yeah. And I can't think of who he had with him on his crew, but the patrol out of there, up north, was uh, Jake, the old guy, was on it, and I forget what the guys, I see the guy, but I can't think of his name, that was on the patrol out of North Conway. Then at Mountain View, he took care of Mountain View and Ossipee area, and that was uh, Luja Lavachua. Mm -hmm. And he had Pearly Eldridge with him. And, gosh, I, I'm not sure who the other two were with him. Then you went to Salmonville, and you had, well, Burleyville had its own section at that point, too. Yeah. And that was Don Susie. When I worked at Burleyville in '45. Donna Susie was the uh, suction man there. Yeah. And he had Guy Gagne worked with him. And I, I don't remember who the other two were that were with him. Then they had a had a section in Salmonville that took our Salmonville and the Wolfboro branch. Yeah. And I'm not sure I should know, but I can't right offhand think of who was, was that. Was, was Tito on there, Cecil Knight? Yeah, Cecil was working. Cecil was on, on the Burleyville section when I worked there with uh, Dona. Yeah. He was he and Gee and, and Dona were on the Burleyville section. Yes, he was. Yeah. Huh. And uh, then there was a section at Milton, and John Stevens, I think, was the foreman on that one. Yeah. And... Then there was the one in, in Rochester. Well, I think there were two there in that God boat there. 
Tony Godbolt. Tony Godbolt was on one of them. Yeah. And then later he was the patrol out of Rollins yeah. to Wolfboro. Yeah. Uh, he, of course, was my mother's godmother's father. Is that right? And uh, he started on the WMP. Yeah, Nashua Epping or Epping. Yeah, well, see, uh, Jim Reed, our agent down here, did the same thing. Yeah. He was on the WNK. Okay. Quite a few of them were. So Union was, the, Jim Reed was the operator. Yes, he was. He's the one that taught me most of my stuff. Yeah. 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 We had, uh, well, we, don't, we didn't count Dover because that was a general agent and that was, uh, we had, uh, at Summersworth, we had uh, Howland Roberts Sr. was the freight agent. Yeah. And oh, I can't think of that guy that was down to the, a little short guy that was down at the passenger station. Hmm. I, I, well, Howland was the, the agent over both, but we had a, a separate ticket agent. Yeah. And that, I worked that job a lot. And, and at one point, Elliot Stora was the ticket agent, and I worked for him a lot. Yeah. And then at, at uh, Rochester, we had, because the freight house, and I can't remember the freight agent's name, but we had uh, Harry Lenfest and Kyle Appleby. Then at, at Hayes, well, Hayes, at Milton, we had Norman Wentworth, and Hayes was combined with that. I think during the war, they couldn't find, they didn't have enough people yeah. To, to do it. And so they combined Hayes. I worked Hayes, though, a lot as a station, and I can't remember who it might have been. It might have been Norman at that point, and then when they combined the two, he went into Milton. Yeah. But Norman, for most of the time that I was on, was the agent at Milton and Hayes. Yeah. We had him then, because Jim was here in Union from the time I was a little girl yeah. until he retired. And then we had uh, Lee and Mayo at Salmonville, and we had uh, Mr. Bailey. I'm not sure what his first name was. We had him at Burleyville, and we had, uh, well, Clarence Martin was up to Ossipy. Oh, now there's a name that comes to mind, yeah. Clarence Martin. Yeah. Now, is it true that his grandfather was Horace Martin, inventor of the Vibroplex bug? Oh, I don't. I don't know, but I'll tell you, Clarence is one of the best operators I ever heard. Yeah. He used that bug all the time. Yeah. Well, it certainly was a Horace Martin. Yeah, was I, I wouldn't dare to say. Yeah. I wouldn't dare to say. That, uh, we had him... Where did I tell you he was? Salmonville. Well, before him was Lee and Mayo. Yeah. Before him. And I guess at that point, uh, Clarence was the agent in Ossipy. Because uh, Mr. Rollins, Irv Rollins, was the agent in uh, uh, Wolfboro. Yeah. And so I think Clarence was in Ossipy. Now, what I, I never knew the man that was there before him. Then at Mountain View, of course, we had... Uh, Percy Blake, this was in my day, there was another man ahead of him that I didn't know. I mean, we had Percy Blake Sr., then at Mount Whittier was Percy Blake Jr. Yeah. And uh, at Madison it was Harry Elliott. At Conway, 
God, I can't think of his name. Mm. I can see him just as plain. Yeah. A lovely looking man and a nice man. And then we had uh, John Seary, uh, Seary at North Conway. And he yeah. did North Conway in what little we did in Indivale. Yeah. And then, of course, Phil Blake came over from the trail. And when his father went down there, to, then it was Northampton where they had all the chickens yeah. and shipped them out and the eggs and stuff. And when when that job came up for bed, Phil's father went down there and Phil came over from, uh, well, Buxton and that. He had several stations there. Okay. He came over from there and took them out with you, Mountain View Station. Okay, so I never knew that Phil started on the trail. Oh, yeah, he was over there for years. I'm not sure that... No, I don't think he started over there. Oh, I think perhaps they might have started in Biddeford in the tower years ago. A.R. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I ah. think so. Because those boys... And then you see there was Bob uh, Blake, too, and he worked down Amesbury. Yeah. But in late years, he after his father either died or left here or something, he bid off Mountain View. Mm -hmm. and, but he was only there a short while, and then uh, the job went over to Phil. Yeah. When they closed the trail, Phil came over here. Yeah. I think, I want to say he was the only agent on the trail when it closed. Huh. He had uh, seven or eight stations there that he handled. Yeah. And see, when I worked at Hayes, I used to have to go over to East Rochester. Yeah. Oh, and, and I don't mean East Rochester, I mean East Lebanon. Oh, yeah, okay. I used to have to go over there. Yeah. And tend the freight. I think, I know whether it once a week or twice a week. Yeah. Of course, that that was Boston and Maine until 1949. Well, I don't know just when they went out. 49, and then 10, and then there was Sanford and Easton, and for 10 years they still came into Rochester. Yeah. And in... 59, I think the year I was born is when they took up Rochester to Sanford. Oh, yeah. And then in 60-something, yeah. they took up the rest. Yeah. Huh. Well, I went over to East Lebanon, I know, into the freight house. And, because when I was at uh, Summersworth, the last few years I was there, we had to go over to North Berwick and handle that business over there. We had a lot of grain business, and, and uh, Littlefields had... I don't know, something that came in. There was quite a bit of business over there, so yeah. we handled it from there. Yeah. Huh. Well, I've worked all of those stations up and down this branch. Yeah. Now, when you went over to East Lebanon, did uh, did your office have a telegraph working? Oh, no. No, no. that was long gone. Yeah. We had one yeah. at Gonic. We had a wire at Gonic. Really? Yep. Um, did that, uh, huh, that's interesting. During that time frame, the branch was cut from Gonic to Dover, right? Yeah, that Gonic was the end of it. Okay, so you had a wire, wow, it must have been a loop from Rochester Well, it down. must have been. I know. I don't know that we talked with the dispatcher on it, but I could talk with Rochester. I wonder if that just was the tail end of that. Probably. I've, I've got a wonderful resource that Don Robinson donated yeah. to the Society, and that's a, an 1897 call book or circuit book. And yeah. It talks about how the circuit... GC was the call down there. GC, Gonic. Yeah. yeah. That's because I went to Gonic school. Yeah. 
I can remember standing in the playground, all the kids were playing, and I'm watching the switcher over there in the brickyard. <laughs> so, all righty. Well, we talk about wire, and I know I've, I've gone into a lot of detail with you before, but just as long as we get the tape running here, I'll run it again. The Conway branch never had a dispatcher's telephone circuit. It was it went from the telegraph wire right, right to the New England telephone sometime in the early 60s. Yep, that's right. And I know that the 34 wire was uh, one of the wires that came up here. Yeah, that that was just... I, I don't know that that came any further north than Rochester. Could be, yeah. Or, or did that go to Wolfboro? What went on no, to Wolfboro? No, we had uh, 16 was the, uh, the Western Union one. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I, what our dispatchers one was called, but 34. No, I think Jim had 34 here in Union. I don't know how far it went. Not very far, though. Yeah. Maybe Salmonville was the end of it. Yeah. Uh, or possibly Wolfboro. Yeah. I know and, one uh, wire came out of Dover and went up to Wolfboro. Well, it could have been 34 then. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that wire, but that's true. We did, and I know Jim had all three of them here. Yeah. But I never had it. I had two in Austin. I had 16 for Western Union, and I had the dispatchers one. Yeah. Do you remember the number on that? No, I can't remember. Okay. I'm, no. I'm sure I've got it, but uh, just, to, just to bring that back. Yeah. In. No, I can't remember the number. No. There was a circuit that ran from Lakeport down to Dover years ago, during this time frame of the turn of the century. But there was another circuit, and I think it started at Alton. Yes, it went Alton to Wolfboro, and it was Alton, Farmington, Rochester, Connick, Dover, Rollinsford, Summersworth, Rochester again, Salmonville. And it either ended at Salmonville or it went out to Wolfboro or something, or maybe up to Annabelle or Conway. But it was, uh, there was a wire there, and then it was uh, kind of interesting to look at how that was laid out. Hmm. Now, there's again, see, I work Farmington. I forgot all about it at the freight house, but we didn't have any wire, to my knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. There were uh, there were at least two railroad wires, you know, years ago. One coming out of Lakeport, and one, like I say, came out of, uh, it only went up as far as Alton Bay. Alton yeah. or Alton Bay. I would imagine Alton Bay. But there was a call letter for Farmington. It was FM. Yeah. But I didn't. I don't remember ever using it. But I know it had a had a call on them. But that was just strictly freight when I worked over there. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of it then, but they kept the job covered like they used to have yeah. a lot of agents and stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll always remember Phil and Pauline at the yeah. at Rochester, and it should be reading the car numbers, and he'd be typing the way yeah. bill for the pit. Yeah. And uh, I forget who it was. Somebody said to me, uh, oh, Wendell Lewis out to Rockland. Uh, K1RPE, I think it was called. It's Rockland's poor excuse, he says. But he was the main central agent out there in, in Rockland. Yeah. He talks about uh, the Columbus method of typing. Seek, find, and land. Two fingers... <laughs> That's the way Clarence Martin typed, but he typed like a son of a gun. Yeah, yeah. 
Never saw anything like it. Well, I remember seeing Bill go around one day. Yeah. On the uh, on the Remington yeah. or whatever. You know, that's one thing I never learned was to take it from the wire and type it. Yeah. I used to have to write it down and then type it. Yeah. But Clarence had had he'd listen to that wire and he'd be a banging away and I never could do that. Yeah. Never learned to do it. Where you're hearing the characters deciphering what it is and then writing it with your hand yeah. and you try to skip the middle step and then you hear and you start to associate the sound with the motion of your hand yeah. and I, I I can taste it I know I can get that 13 but <laughs> I don't have to now I think all you have now is a 5 word per minute code requirement is that right? yep so if I go back and get my uh, uh, the theory the general theory on, on the in fact, I was trying to do that, but uh, the fellow that uh, runs the volunteer exam sessions in St. Johnsbury, uh, who was an old Canadian Pacific operator, by the way, yeah. uh, gave up on it because it was just it was just so hard. We, the last time I went was the last session they had, and they only had two volunteer examiners, and they need three. He said it was so hard to be sure of getting them, you know, they can give up. So if you're a novice, can you move up to general without taking a code test now? If you're a novice, a uh, novice has five words per minute, I think you can move up to general without taking a code test. I'm not sure whether it was five or what I had, but yeah. when I did mine... Uh, you, you, well, you're a novice, right? Yeah. Yeah, five. When I did I mine, did. Uh, Stan Aldrich said I was doing about 15 words a minute Yeah. at the time. Yeah. But I, I always wanted to get my general, but I never studied up on it. Yeah. And I probably won't now. My health won't allow it, I don't think. But. Yeah. Janet, okay. See, J.B. was my signature yeah. on anything I took from the railroad because I was Janet Bailey when I went to work. Yeah. So I signed everything J.B. all my life. Yeah. That was my, my sign-off on the wire. J.B. King. J.B. Train. <laughs> J.B. King Esquire. Yeah. You ever hear that story? No. no. I guess in some areas they had the call the call book. The uh, the crew dispatcher would have the call boy go rouse Joe Schmoll out of bed yeah. and tell him he's on for a 4 a.m. departure. Yeah. So uh, the, the call boy would go bike, walk, whatever, to the house, knock on the door and say, you're on for 4 a.m.? And uh, they'd give them the call book that they had to sign to acknowledge that they got the message, right? And they used to put down, they used to sign J.B. King Esquire, you know, instead of their own name. I don't know if they were trying to get out of anything or just being a wise-ass, but they'd do that. And there was also a way that you could write J.B. King Esquire in one line, not lift the pen off the paper. No kidding. And uh, if you get the book, um, Treasury of Railroad Folklore, that's in yeah. there. Yeah. When we were living in Florida, that when the, uh, the fellow that we were in a uh, two-apartment house and the kid that was in it living with us, he worked for the railroad for the yeah. Seaboard. And they were always coming at night, the, the cowboy was always coming at night and knocking on the door, and, and we could hear him from our side yeah. and telling him, you know, when he had to go to work. Yeah. But, of course, all my calls came by phone because they came out of the dispatcher's office in Dover. Yeah. Huh. 
Well, it's uh, it was a tough service, no doubt at times. You know, you working the spare board was was pretty tough. Oh yeah, yeah. So, but I enjoyed every day that I ever worked for the railroad. Yeah. It was never a job for me. I looked forward to going to bed at night so I could get up in the morning and go to work. I loved it that yeah. much. And if I could have afforded it, I would have worked for nothing just to be there yeah. around the trains. I, I, I just love them. I love them today. Yeah. But we've got uh, five engines. I don't know what those new engines are. There's no markings on them that are on the gravel train. I heard them on the radio. I heard a couple of interesting things on the radio tonight, and certainly for the take, what is it, it's September 6, 2001. Um, they called in to Bill Ricca and uh, LLP, LLPX was one of the lead engine. It's, it's got to be a leasing engine, leased engine. So it might be a Jeep 30, Jeep 35, Jeep 40 or something. And that was one thing. I did hear him say that they had 68 loads, 30 Everett's, and 38 Boston's. And I'm thinking 68 for the gravel train is a good haul. Yeah. That, that one day here, uh, a few weeks ago, they went with 72. Yeah. Five engines. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, he said, well, I'm going to have to hold you at Rollinsford because I've got a passenger extra that's coming through. Really? Am Amtrak Extra. So okay. it must be running a test train or qualifying run or something. Mm. Boy, mm. that piece of railroad is different. Uh, fix that up something. I know. For him. Well, uh, this is what I'm worried about. I don't think it will fly, Brian. Neither do I. It may be for a little while. Yeah. But higher uh, that, it's not going to fly, and that son of a bee's going to get his track all fixed up for nothing. Yeah. It wasn't fit to run his freights at 15 miles an hour. Yeah. He's going to get it fixed for nothing at our expense. Look at what he did to the Con River. I know. We've been here before. I know. The only thing is I hope the feds and the state have enough money in there and have enough of their talons into him that if he acts up, they come in and seize it and give it right to him. You retired from Dover. Yes, I did. And what was the date? September 17th, 1987. That one? I, I, yeah, I just I got done on a disability. I had polymyalgia rheumatic. I still got it. And uh, I just I couldn't function anymore. I was on prednisone and stuff, and I just I could not keep up with the stuff. And I, I just didn't want to do a lousy job because I had a good reputation. And yeah. my work was usually very good. I wish my work at home was as good. And I, I tried to do a good job, and I know I did do a good job for him. Yeah. So I retired on September 17th, huh. 1987. Yeah. A long while. You, you forget a lot in 14 years. <laughs> but now, just this Sunday alone, I talked with... Uh, I know. Yes, it was. I guess it was Sunday. Uh, Lenny Arkison came in to see me. Now, see, there's another There's another name, and also Gary Gary, Arkison. yeah. Gary's still working. Yeah. Uh, Lenny came in. He dot and visited a while. While he was here, Norm Mary called. There's another name. Yeah. As an engineer. He called, 
And right after he called, Nam Petit called me. So I heard from three of them yeah. that one day. I tried getting a hold of Billy Malin for this. You still this. haven't gotten it? No, I left a message, but I'll, I'll try again some other time. Yeah. Yeah. So last, well, I saw him at, the, at Spring Hill there last year. And then the time before that, he was with the Shriners parking the cars at the at the amateur radio flea market in Rochester. Now, Elma, uh, Billy's father, Elma Malum, was a section man there at Burleyville at, at one point. Yeah. And his uncle, Bob Malum, was also a section man. Yeah. He was a section man. Elma was a section foreman. I remember sitting in Rochester at the freight house one day, and the track crew, the, the, the gang was going by, and they were doing a tie job or something. And there were two boys, two brothers, that were really heavy. And they were tightening joint bar bolts. Well, it wouldn't be the Malums, because they weren't heavy. It wasn't, no, but they, it was, I remember it ironic that here they had these had these huge track wrenches, and they just put a little bit of their weight to it, and, you know, they just went right to town tightening up joint bars. We had a couple of guys, and I don't know what their names were, from Raymond area. And they worked over, Nami Petit would know, God, he's a, he's a wealth of knowledge on that yeah. stuff. His memory is wonderful. And uh, they, they came from Raymond, the two brothers did. And they worked over on the main line some, and I mean, they were big. Yeah. They were big, heavy set guys. Yeah. Whether they might have had them up in that area or not, I don't know. Yeah, well, this, it seems to me it was a tie game for coming up with Oh, well, that maybe they were on it. Yeah. Huh. Now, uh, talking about Dover, I remember the card punch and the card reader that sat there for a while. Do you remember entering train consists on the IBM machine? Yeah, sure. Don't know how we did it now, though. I think of that on that great big long machine yeah. we had in there. And I think yeah. of that so often. And it was always jamming up, and we were in an awful mess with it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first one we had, and it was already obsolete when they got it. Oh, yeah. I guess that's why they got it. Yeah. But we used to have to type those cards out. Yeah. And then get them in that slot, and it would run them through, and sometimes it would jam them, and oh, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've still got some of the cards up in my bond chamber. Huh. Some of the empty cards. Yeah. We used them for scrap paper after they went out of that one. Right. Yeah. And then later on you used something else to enter the consists. Well, we had a regular computer then. Yeah. With paper and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Gone were the X7s. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I can't think of anything else that I'd want to pick your brain on. Probably I'll let you go to your evening here. I'm taking up enough of your time. Oh, I'm enjoying having you here, Brian. Right. No, Next weekend, I think I'm going to just go to, uh, you know, I have a caboose. Well, I think you told me. Yeah. Is it over there at the Kelton? Uh, no, uh, but it's going to join those cabooses next weekend, and it's going to go up to Lincoln. It's, it normally sits in Lincoln, but it's been down in Lakeport. When we had Motorcycle Weekend, Deb and I crewed the trains on the Friday and Saturday night of that Father's Day weekend. Mm -hmm. 
and I had the caboose put right down there at the engine house in Lakeport, so that when we were done, the train tied up at Lakeport, we'd just get a ride around the corner and around the pond. You can't walk across. There's a drawbridge in Lakeport now. No kidding. And signals and everything. And the, the guy at the marina was spending a lot of money every year trucking the big boats around the bridge. And so he actually put up a million dollars to have the bridge. That trestle in Lakeport was a pile trestle to track wide. And I think it was, yeah, it was a ballasted deck. So there was a ballast stone, regular track on top of the timber deck, on top of timber piles. Well, they tore up a part of the siding, and then they tore a span out of the main line, and they put in a, a, a bascule section, hydraulically operated, and now he can get his big boats through, and right here he saved that investment in like the first year. Okay. I don't know if that's a fact, but... That's at Lakeport? At Lakeport. Yep. Huh. I don't know if you were familiar with that, but there was a station down by Elm Street, Union Avenue, and then you'd go around the a curve where the Lakeport branch, the Lakeshore yeah. branched off. You'd go over a trestle, and then there'd be the Lakeport yard and engine house. Yeah. And it used to be... It wasn't a roundhouse, it was a... <coughs> And there wasn't a turntable there, but it was like an eight-stall engine house, mm-hmm. all, all sorts of switches to yeah. get into it. And uh, sometime in the 40s or 50s, they abolished all but one stall in the office. And that's where the 44-tonner tied up, just like the Bideford switcher. Yeah. They had a 44-tonner up there, and that would tie up in that one stall. And uh, the through jobs would drop or cut off at Lakeport. Switch would go to switch out Laconia, Lakeport, and go down to Tilton, and then go down the branch to uh, Franklin. Yeah. Franklin, uh, Franklin Falls, is what I want to say. Yeah, Franklin Falls. So, Laconia was really busy. Yeah, I guess so. Speaking of switches, do you know Mike Serenian died? No. Yeah, he's been dead. Well, last he was dead around Christmas time, I think. Yeah. It never was in the paper or anything. But Sally and Gary had me down the mall in the wheelchair, and uh, Charlie was sitting down there. And he spends half his time down there. Yeah. He looks good. And uh, he was telling me that Mike had died, you know, the week before that. So it was right around Christmas, I guess. Mike was engineer on the... No, he was the he was the uh, conductor. Conductor. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie yeah. was one of the smartest switchmen I ever saw in my life. Yeah. He'd look that stripper over, see what doing, shove it in his pocket, might never touch it again. He'd come in, tell you every car that was shifted, and you never had to go out and check the yard. He told you just how they were lined up. Really. So Mike said to me one day, I was telling him what a good switchman. Charlie was, and he said, well, who do you think taught him? I'm the one that taught him. Yeah. Charlie could shift cars all over. Huh. All over Mike. But I talk with Skip Farley quite a lot. Yeah. I talk with Kenny Holbrook some when I see him quite often. Oh, Kenny. Kenny was an engineer. Yeah. He was on uh, the, the uh, gravel train for a long while. Yeah. In fact, that's 
his picture up there with Little Richard and with me and Skip yeah. and uh, Kenny. I saw that newspaper yeah. clipping. Is that Dover? Is that taken at Dover? Yeah. 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 They were on that. And they both, all three of them were on that. That probably was the Farmington job when that was taken. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, then they were all on the gravel and stuff. Yeah. Kenny, Kenny Holbrook lives down around Kenny Park. Yeah. See, there's not many of them left now in Dover. I mean, people in my generation or that in my work era. Right. When there's few and far between now. Yeah. We're dying off like crazy. Well, it's been known to happen, and they haven't found the cure for it yet. No. Not, and at the rate I'm going, I don't want to be in Mormon. Well. I don't want to live forever. I've been through too much. Yeah. It's the spirit and it's the body, and if the body is not there to support the spirit, it can be a battle, I guess. Now, this is coming from a 42-year-old, so yeah. I don't know what I'm talking no, about. No, right? we'll wait until you get there. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've been through a lot, Brian. Well, Nobody knows. It sounds good. Yeah, about 23 hospitalizations, four surgeries in a year and a half. Hmm. It's awful. Well, but, but you're looking good now. Well... The funny part of it is, for most of the time, they've all said I have looked. And there was one period where they thought they were losing me. And I, I did look dreadful. Somebody had a picture of me, and I couldn't believe how I looked. No yeah. wonder they were all scared. Yeah. But uh, after I got this third wire put in on my defibrillator, why things seemed to pick up. So I said, I'm not going to give up yet. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I'm not going to give up either. I've yeah. gone this far, and I'm not going to throw everything out to caution, though I'd like to sometimes. Yeah. I was pretty near death when they transferred me from Winthrop Douglas over to York to try and put that wire in. It was a brand new process. I was the first one they ever did it to there. Really? Yeah. Huh. And they really haven't mastered it yet. It's been, being, it's been done over in the Scandinavian countries for a few years now, but the FDA here wouldn't approve it. Well, yeah. I just approved the pacemaker part of it. I, you might have seen it on television last week. Yeah. But they have not approved the defibrillator part of it, and that will be two to six months, they tell me, before they may approve that. In uh, so, But the reason that they could put the third wire in with me, they did it in July, was because I already had a pacemaker defibrillator in. And they yeah. could put the third wire and they had approved the third wire, but nothing more. Yeah. Now they've approved the pacemaker part of it. Now they've still got to prove the defibrillator part of it because the defibrillator is what's keeping me alive. Mm. So they can't, there's nothing more that they can do for me. Hopefully we can, you know, I'll live long enough for them to get everything approved and then they'll put a whole new unit in me. Yeah. So... It's kind of discouraging because I keep going into congestive heart failure, you see. Yeah. I've got bad kidneys, and so they can't pump out. My heart's only pumping 15% of what it should. Yeah. So this device is helping me. But even then, it's not doing, you know, real good. So I don't get anything done. Well. I sit and procrastinate. Good. I know, but I've got a ton of things I'd like to do. Yeah. What can you do? I'm alive and I shouldn't be. Three well, different times I should have not been here. They told me I was walking with an angel on my shoulder. Make a list of things that give you a smile and just focus on them. 
I, I think back of all the days that I worked and stuff, and, and my friends and stuff, and that keeps me going. But I have some wonderful memories. That wraps up this week's episode of High Green. If you'd like to be on the show or know somebody who might have some interesting stories about the Boston and Maine Railroad or its legacy, please reach out to us. You can email us at bmrrhs at gmail.com or send us a message right on Facebook 